Welcome to Watching the Tudors. I'm Heather. And I'm Jonathan. And this is the podcast where we rewatch the Tudors after almost 10 years. We go into the depth of history and background of the show, explaining the stories behind the story. You can learn more about us and the show at watchingthetutors.com. So let me talk about the reason why we're doing this and our tutor cred. I'm Heather, and I started the Renaissance English History Podcast in 2009, two years after the Tudors premiered. It was also the 500th anniversary of Henry VIII becoming king. It's still running, and if you want to get into even more depth on all things related to Renaissance England, check it out at englandcast.com. I thought it would be fun to go through and start re-watching the Tudors from the beginning again after almost 10 years and see what stuck out of me after learning and podcasting about this period for such a long time. And it's my goal to bring the stories behind the Tudors to life in a more accessible way for the average viewer. And hopefully, as time goes on, we'll get guests and people affiliated with the show to come on and talk about this more with us as well. And I'm Jonathan, and I always hear my wife talking about kings and history and tutors and stuff, and I really don't know much about anything. And uh, instead of reading a history book, which I wouldn't really be into, I thought watching along uh, to the tutors television show would be a good introduction, and I could ask her questions on all the things that I have no idea what's going on with. So this is kind of our date night. (laughs) And also, we have a daughter, Hannah, and she's three, and she's upstairs sleeping. Yeah, so I guess we can start with a recap of episode one. So the first episode of the Tudors, which was broadcast in April of 2007, which seems like so long ago. And we I should say this assumes every show here is going to assume that you've watched the episode or you are rewatching it with us or watching it with us. So there are spoilers, obviously, because we're going to talk about what happened. So if you don't want to know what happened, you should stop and go watch the episode and then come back to us afterwards. And I think we might actually like have spoilers for later if you don't know anything, because we're going to talk about sort of history. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we might give away certain things, but if, you know, hopefully you are too upset, we, we, we won't give away... Um, too much. Anne Boleyn dies. Yeah. Okay. See, that's an example. (laughs) All right. So the show opens with a completely fictional murder, which gets us excited for war with France. War with France. And there's an awful lot of sex and there's an awful lot of politics at court. And all of the major players are introduced in various ways. So we've got Henry and Catherine, who are Henry VIII, and Catherine of Aragon, his wife, and Mary Tudor, their daughter. And even Anne Boleyn makes an appearance at the end. And we've got Cardinal Wolsey and Thomas More. And I think the way we're going to go through this, rather than going through scene by scene, is Jonathan's going to ask questions about what happened in the episode. And then at the end, I'm going to wrap everything up with the main kind of themes that I saw coming out of the episode. Does that make sense? Yeah, sounds good. All right, here we go. Okay, so that the whole thing in Italy, like that's not like his uncle didn't actually get get killed by French guys and start a war. No, he didn't have an uncle. Okay. Okay, well, that that makes that easy. So and then the next thing they show is Whitehall Palace. Like, yes. What's what's Whitehall Palace? Is that where the king lived, or, or? Yeah, Whitehall Palace. Henry VIII lived at a couple of different palaces. One interesting thing about this time period is that courts were always moving because it took so many resources to feed a court. The sheer number of people and the court was wasn't a place. It was the court was the king. So wherever the king was was the court. And because it took so many resources to feed the court, like they were always moving around. So he had palaces at um, at Greenwich was one of his favorites. And um, there was, well, Hampton Court eventually, and he had palaces all over. And Whitehall was one of his newer palaces that was just being completed at this time. And it had actually belonged to Woolsey to start with, and he took part of it when Woolsey fell, um, there was a lot of renovation that was done on it through his whole um, his whole reign. And interestingly, some of the most famous portraits of Henry um, were at Whitehall Palace. And I could get into a whole story on the portraits, which I actually did in my podcast. But yes, Whitehall was a very famous palace that Henry kept 
Cordat. And also nowadays, Whitehall is where the English government, like they refer to Whitehall the way we refer to like Washington, D.C. They okay. say like, oh, Whitehall, that happened. And so like the court was like the king and all kind of his his like entourage or yeah. as you might call him. Yeah. And like the government or. Yeah. Well, so the government was parliament mm-hmm. officially, but Henry only needed the king only needed to call a parliament when he needed taxes. So in general, if he didn't need taxes, he didn't actually have to call a parliament. Okay. So for day-to-day activity, he would rely on his counselors. Mm-hmm. And one of the things Woolsey makes um, rose to such fame early on in his career because Henry, in his early years, didn't really much care about day-to-day governing and handed it all over to his advisors like Woolsey. Okay. Um, but yeah. And who were those people? Like when they're walking in into the to the castle to the palace or the castle um like there's all these people screaming with papers like hey lord your majesty like who are who are those people they were people that wanted to tell the king something okay so, so like, it's like they had a letter like my uncle needs 500 dollars or something yeah or like um you know this village is having an issue with whatever the plague or <laughs> i mean i guess that would be really important but you know something's ha- like or you know i need help for this or you know people who thought okay. that they could either get a word with the king or with somebody high up you know if you wanted to make some kind of a petition to I the see. government so that's kind of like people these days like writing an email to someone in the government like please hear my plea or yeah something. okay and so thomas wolsey is that his name mm-hmm. who's who's that guy he was the cardinal at this point, and he um, he was he's a main character in Henry's reign. He was actually the son of a butcher, and he rose through his intelligence and hard work. He studied at Oxford, and he was one of these kind of new men that Henry liked to surround himself with. And uh, Henry really valued intellect over heritage, I suppose. Um, and so he was a a very efficient, hard worker. He was very, very smart. And he rose through the church and became a cardinal and um, was, you know, a a chief advisor to Henry. His his fall ultimately was when he was unable to secure a divorce for Henry. Mm -hmm. Um, Henry took his wrath out on... He fell out of favor. Yeah. Okay. And... Did he like live at Hampton Court or? Yeah, he had a number of palaces. He, you know, one thing at this time, going into the church, a lot of times people think like you go into the church to live a life of poverty and whatnot. That if you could rise, the church was a great career choice for people who maybe didn't have parents that could provide them with a head start, but who were very smart. If you went into the church, you could rise way, way high. If you were a hard worker and you were smart, it was much more kind of egalitarian, Mm -hmm. I guess. Um, In some cases, if you came from a rich family, still you would go into the church and probably be a cardinal anyway, but um, you could rise much higher. It was more easy to go from class to class, I guess, in the church. And what did you ask me? (laughs) Oh, just if Thomas Wolsey lived at Hampton Court. Oh, yeah. So he had a number of palaces, and Hampton Court was um, Hampton Court was a palace that he built that was way modern. At the time, it was this amazing palace that had every kind of modern convenience, and um, he he wound up actually spoiler alert having to hand it over to Henry as part of his his downfall. He was he was trying to appease the king and gave him Hampton Court because Henry was always slightly jealous of it. But yeah, nice. that's not bad for the son of what a butcher. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. And so there was one part where Henry was asking like other lords or something and dukes about if they should go to war. Yeah. Like what's like who are those people? Those are like we talked about the day to day kind of needs of government. Those would be the peers of the realm. So the peers of the realm were the people who were either like minor nobles or major nobles, the younger sons of kings, for example, and their lineage. So as if you weren't the line that was going to be the king, you know, you were the uncle like or the, second cousins to the king. Exactly. Or, or and they had they were very old houses, you know, the Dukes of York and the Dukes of Lancaster. And, and like that Buckingham guy. Mm-hmm. Like So his great granddad was like some king's best friend or something not even the king's best friend the king's brother okay likely and yeah or the king's sister 
okay. then the peerage kind of goes down through the family. And you could, the king could take those titles away. So sometimes, for example, some of those peers, when they fought uh, Henry the Seventh, Henry the Eighth's father, when he took the throne, the nobles who fought for Richard the Third, his opponent, many of them lost okay, so their they, titles. Okay, like, took away their. Mm-hmm. Their, their titles and he gave know. them he could then give them to his friends okay um he could a or king could also so. create titles uh-huh. so you could have the first duke of blank and have that you and know. like like what's her name catherine right now who's the like in modern times is, is that her name Kate Middleton? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't she like the the duchess duke and duchess of, of Cambridge? And that that they just made that up or I don't know. Okay. Maybe. But, like, there were certain titles, yeah, that they would just make up and say, like, um, like the Duke of, I think the Duke of Norfolk actually was one that was created right around this time, I think about and, 50 years before. And so would they have, like, like the Duke of Norfolk or the Duke of Buckingham or whatever? Mm-hmm. Were, those were places. Like, yeah. Norfolk is a place and Buckingham and is a place. And that's his lands would be there. Okay. And would they actually, like, live there or go there or did mm-hmm. they have anything to do with it like, yeah so that's where like they would get lands they would get rents from that place so if you were created the duke of york for example you had your seat in in york you had most of yorkshire chances are you're that wealthy you probably also have lands in other places near i think the dukes of york had lands throughout close to wales and things like that but you were getting rents from all the farmers at that place so it's kind of it's kind of like in in the United States like a senator or something. I mean, in a way, like you'd be the senator of California, but you wouldn't necessarily like live in California, but you'd have a house in California and you represent yeah. the people of California and you'd probably yeah. have houses all over the place because you're rich. And, yeah, yeah. And, like you'd be hanging out in Washington D.C. most of the time talking to the king. Or, right. I guess I'm sort of making weird analogy, but <laughs> and also like really really powerful ones like they allude to here mm-hmm. could actually raised standing armies that were okay almost yeah, as wanna, big I as the king. I want to ask you about that yeah. later. So yeah, okay. And then he was Henry, right? Was yeah. playing tennis. Yeah, like they played tennis back then. Or? Yeah, they played what evolved into what's called real tennis. And interestingly, Henry V was the first king to bring tennis to England. Um, or to to play it royally that I, I think it goes way back, but it was the first um, recorded instance of a king playing tennis. And Henry VIII did really enjoy playing tennis. And I like that scene because of the foreshadowing, because Henry the, Henry built a really large tennis court at Hampton Court after he took it from Woolsey in 1530. I looked that up. Nice. And also, when Anne Boleyn was arrested, she was apparently watching a tennis match. All right. So, so and then they, we, they get to his wife, or yeah, Henry, Henry's wife, Catherine of Aragon. Yes. So she was Spanish? Yes. And Aragon is like a place in Spain? Yes. Or so was? Or? There, were, there were two main kingdoms in Spain at the time, Aragon and Castile. Okay. And Ferdinand... And Isabella were, you, they were each independent kingdoms that they married each other and they united Spain into what we would now consider like almost united Spain. Mm-hmm. And um, with that, they were able to drive the Moors out mm-hmm. of Spain. But it's interesting, like one kind of important thing to remember is that Isabella was a queen in her own right. She was an independent queen who married an independent king. And so Catherine of Aragon saw that growing up, that her mother was So that much was her equal. parents? Yeah. Ferdinand and Isabella. Isabella. Yeah. And they were the people with, like, Columbus. Like, they sent yeah. Columbus off, and mm-hmm. they kicked the Moors out of Spain. Yeah. And they did a lot of stuff. Okay, so yeah. their daughter was Catherine. Mm-hmm. And then he said something about your nephew, the king of Spain. So, like, yeah. why was her nephew the king of Spain and not, like, her brother or... Yeah, well, it goes into the whole, because it was two independent kingdoms, they kind of take liberty with saying the king of Spain. But what happened was when Isabella died, the right to reign, the right to become queen actually would have gone to her daughter, Juana, and who was Catherine of Aragon's sister. And (laughs) Jonathan's touching me, too much detail. Oh, um... It would have gone to Juana, and Juana's husband made a big deal out of the fact that she was crazy and she couldn't reign on her own. And it's actually a very sad story. 
um, both Ferdinand, her father, and her husband were kind of fighting over her right to become queen of this land. And um, her husband had her declared insane and ruled in her name. And then it was their son that then inherited that. So it was Catherine's sister, Juana. It was her right. And then it was her son. that then, oh, So they give it to her son. So yeah. instead of it, so instead of her sister being the, the queen, yeah. it was her son her, okay, yeah. and her nephew. Well, yeah. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. And then they had a daughter, Mary. Yes. And that's like true. Yes. Okay. Mary Tudor. And that's the only daughter. That's the only kid they had that lived. Like they lost yeah. other kids, but they had, they were, it was so yeah. sad. They, okay. And that's like a theme, but yeah. And Mary's so Mary own. grew up and, mm-hmm. and stuff. Okay. Um, and then there was the joust. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so like, that was like a thing. Like people, like they did that. Like they rode on horses and knocked <laughs> each other and stuff. Yes. And okay. That's not just, I mean, fact, I've seen it in all the like Robin Hood movies and stuff, right. but like that was, no, that was a thing. And okay. it was actually kind of, um, it was almost like a training for war okay. as well. And it was a, sh- a chance to show your stuff. And it was, you know, a- so another way you could like, like make your, make a name for yourself. If you were just some, some guy from like mm-hmm. the, the country, yeah, it was- nowhere, like you could be Jonathan, the great jouster. Right? Yeah. And it would take you a while because you'd have to get sponsors and people would give you the money for Work the your way up. Yeah. The armor, the, the armor and, and all that kind of stuff, yeah. which wasn't cheap. Um, but yeah, there were actually cases of people who were very famous that did that. And also, you know, it, it was, um, something the nobles would do to show that they were ready for war and stuff. And, um, in 1536 foreshadowing Henry VIII had a horrible jousting accident. He, as he got older, he loved to participate in the joust. He was a huge sportsman and he loved to do the joust. And as he got older, people told him you shouldn't, especially cause he didn't have a son, you know, you, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. really dangerous. You shouldn't do it. And in, in 1536, he got very wounded uh, with a, a wound that would last for the rest of his life. And a lot of people say that's the year that he kind of turned into the tyrant that we know him as now. And that it might have come from. There's a lot of theories around like blood poisoning and stuff from mm-hmm. the, from his wound. But yes, Henry participated. In and that. so people wouldn't die. Like when you knock someone off, it wasn't like half the people were dead at no. the end of the joust. Yeah. No. Okay. But they could be unconscious. And stuff, yeah. You know, it wasn't like a good thing. And you could die. I mean, yeah. it was, there was a chance, but. But I was I was thinking like okay that guy that guy's dead okay, no. and there's like one guy living at the end. And no, he's the winner. no, no, no. Okay. No. You'd kill off all your nobility. Oh, that's what I was. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so then there was the the guy on the on the side of the river. That was Thomas More. Yes, and he's a humanist. Yes, what's a humanist? So this is the start of bringing Renaissance thinking to England. Thomas More was one of the early Renaissance thinkers. Um, humanism is you know the new scholarship that had been growing in Italy that was um, treating studies the classical studies the um rediscovering the the classics of rome and greece and like i say i love you know how you've heard me talk about how i love this period so much because it's when people started like singing just for the joy of singing and painting just for the joy of painting and you didn't have to do it for like religious reasons you could just do it because you loved it and um there was this whole scholarship of you know educating the whole person and and having you know almost like we would say like mind body spirit kind of everything linked together and and being peaceful and and um studying lots of different things studying science and and all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. and um and Thomas More was one of the first ones he wrote Utopia which mm-hmm. is a very famous work where he envisioned the perfect society. And he also brought Erasmus um, of Rotterdam, who was also another humanist thinker to England back before Henry was even king. Uh, Erasmus came and toured through Cambridge and lots of other places. And um, so, yes, that was more. Okay. And is that where like the word Erasmus comes from now? Like when people go on Erasmus, like they travel what? That's what he did. Okay. Well, I guess I know something that you don't. All nice. Right. All right. Um, I have to look that up. Well, you can come back to that. Okay. So while he was talking, while Henry oh, yeah, was talking with Henry. Okay. Sorry. So while, so then Henry was talking to Thomas More. Yes. 
he mentioned Henry V. Yes. And how he was famous for what Agincourt? Uh-huh. And like the like he said something about the archers and the other archers and yeah. he's famous. So I guess my question like was Henry really kind of like like fame hungry, like power hungry? Like he really wanted to be famous like Henry V was or Yeah. Okay. So what so Henry V was the last kind of great king before the Wars of the Roses. And, and so it, were they related or not necessarily? That's a long story. Through half, half. Okay, so it wasn't his, his like, granddad or something? No, it was his half-granddad. Okay. Um, Half-step-granddad. Um, anyway, uh, Henry V was the, the last great king, warrior king, who came at the tail end of what we now call the Hundred Years' War. He had huge success at the Battle of Agincourt. By the, by the time his reign ended... He pretty much owned France and had been declared the heir in France, the, to the French king. And then he died early. His son, Henry VI, did not have the same didn't instincts. Didn't live up to that potential. He was much more pious and holy. And he wound up, of course, the well, not of course, the Wars of the Roses started under him because people didn't think he wound up losing all the land. Mm-hmm. And then the Wars of the Roses started. And then Henry VIII's father, Henry VII, took the throne um, by killing Richard III uh, on the battlefield. And so then you've got Henry VIII then. That actually, interestingly, when Henry VIII came to power, it was the first transfer of power in over 50 years that had been bloodless. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Henry really saw this opportunity for himself to, like, prove his success as a king and also to hearken back to say, like, I'm going to make make England great again. And solidify or, things again. Yeah, yeah. And like show like we had this rough time and now we're coming out of it and we're mm-hmm. going to, I'm going to be this great Renaissance King and, and I'm going to go get France back. And I he see. really wanted to be seen like that. Okay. Um, and then there's another scene where Henry was hunting. Yes. Like what, like they did that they hunted on horses and stuff. Yeah, they did. And like, what, what did they hunt? Like they hunt, sheep. I guess they wouldn't hunt sheep. No, there was they they hunted um, a very a popular thing. Well, there were all these laws around hunting, like what you could and couldn't hunt based on your class and your status. Um, but a popular thing for a king to hunt would be um, a boar. So there were still wild boars, mm-hmm. and there was special forest land that only the king could hunt on. And to this day, there's the new forest in England that was one of the early areas that were royal forests that were. Um, kind of separated off for the king. And so what you would do is you'd go out with dogs and you'd be on horseback. And in a lot of ways, it was like joust. It was seen as um, practice for war. Mm-hmm. So, you know, cause you needed a lot of the same skills, um, you know, strength and uh, being sometimes quiet when you needed to be quiet and having yeah. quick reflexes and everything like that. So yeah, you'd go out with a pack of dogs, you'd find a wild boar, you'd chase the boar for hours and hours and hours until the boar got really, really, t- really quiet or sorry, tired. And then you'd throw some spears at him to keep away from the tusks, really, really long spears because he had, of course, giant tusks. Yeah. And you'd throw spears at him, and then you'd come home with a boar. Good times. You know, there's like the Christmas Carol, the Boar's Head Carol. It was like, <laughs> sure, okay, if you say so. Okay, then there was another scene, like it showed the guy, well, the guy Thomas Tallis, like he was brought in. And there was like a man with a bunch of little boys singing. Like, is yes. that what they? Like that that's how they would sing in church back then or something, or what like what's that about? Yeah, so that is my great passion. I know. Anglican sixteenth century Anglican polyphony. Yeah. That is my great passion. Um and people who want to learn more about it can listen to my podcast. <laughs> podcast plug. Yeah. Um, no, so you know, English liturgical music was really special at this time and it it, this flowering of of anglican choral music but yes there was that was high music now that wouldn't have been accessible to your average person unless they had a a chapel near to them Mm -hmm. um but interestingly woolsey was a huge supporter of that kind of music as was henry the eighth um henry the eighth had the chapel royal which continued through for years and they there was actually these kind of wars they would go back and forth poaching 
choristers from one to What's the other. Chorister? The young boy that you saw singing. Okay. So if there was like a, there was actually one was that was really like a good. really really good one, and he would be poached. From- and was that like they would like like what was it make it eunuch like like they would like oh. make them so their voices wouldn't change and they never grow up or something like is that a thing or that was a thing in Italy. Okay, that's like the Vienna. Boy, that's, different. <laughs> that's different okay but it was all little boys singing like ah. yeah they didn't use women wouldn't be allowed to sing in a church because yeah, you, you know why would you want a woman, a woman there in a church? um and so they would have boys sing the female parts um and then and, would men sing sometimes mm-hmm. too yeah okay. yeah the men would sing because the boys voices hadn't yeah the men would sing the, the bass and the tenor parts okay um the boys would just sing the alto so parts. it wasn't all young boys singing no okay and and that's the kind of music that people would have listened to if you had access to if you were a person who lived close to one of these chapels and they you know in cambridge and oxford and in, in canterbury you know there were these kinds of chapels that your average person could go and listen to the services sung in this way but mm, and it was interestingly also people nobles would have these kind of chapels that would they would set up with these people singing um to sing for their soul when they died as well so there was a lot of this kind of singing going on all right yes and then thomas tallis yes like uh, <sighs> they didn't really introduce him but i've heard his name around our house a lot yeah so can you give us a very short um <laughs> Not half an hour introduction of, of Thomas Tallis. He was the granddaddy of English choral music, and he he wrote music for, gosh, all four Tudor monarchs. And he was one of the rare people to have been successful under Henry VIII and Henry VIII's children, um, all the way until the mid fifteen eighties. And some of the most famous pieces of choral music that people who listen to this kind of music will be familiar with will know Thomas Tallis. He's a, a granddaddy. I know it's, it might be a strange question. Did he just get to die or was he like beheaded because he was like, he wrote a bad song? <laughs> no, I think he just got to die. Okay. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Um, okay. So about this treaty that like, yes, like, is this a thing? Is this a real, like, was there really like a treaty or what? So they kind of rolled this in this episode. They rolled the field of cloth of gold. There were two treaties. So they did want to have a perpetual peace treaty with all the nations. And that was originally called the Treaty of London. And it was, I think, 1518. It was this humanist idea. And that, like, fell apart. Like, you can imagine it fell apart, like, right away. Well, it didn't, I mean, it was kind of like, so how do we enforce this treaty? Oh, well, if someone gets aggressive, we all all declare war war on them until we have peace. It just, it doesn't sound like the best kind of treaty. Exactly. Yeah. So there was the Treaty of London, and that was this brilliant idea that Woolsey had to have this perpetual peace, and it fell apart. And out of that, then, one of the things that came up was, uh, during this time, and it lasts through the whole 16th century. England and France and Spain were always this triangle. Like France and England would be against Spain, or Spain and France would be against England. And it was always like, well, who can I get on my side to be against I this get person? It. Sometimes one was. Yeah. yeah. And so during this period, Woolsey was a supporter of the French and he said, let's have peace with France. And so then they had the Field of Cloth of Gold, which was a, a treaty of friendship that, um, that, they were signing and that was so there actually was this idea of this perpetual peace which fell apart and then out of that also then came this treaty of friendship with france and that's what the field of okay. so that kind of okay and we'll i mean that's it's going to come up in later shows but that that kind of was sort of true yeah and the field so. of cloth of gold was a magnificent event okay cool um okay later on the guy thomas moore yes the humanist yes it showed him like what was with that shirt? Like it showed him praying, and he had a torn up shirt and like scars like, on his back. Yeah, like what? What? What was that about? Self flagellation was really not that unusual at this time, and hair shirts. A hair shirt is just that—a hair shirt. And you can imagine how I heard it one time an analogy that after you get a haircut, you know how itchy it is if you don't. If they did, yeah, that doesn't sound like a good time. Yeah, so it was a whole shirt that was made of hair. And it was basically to to remind you that you were 
a poor sinner. A horrible person. Yes. And you would wear it underneath your clothes and it was just kind of this regular penance. And I think sometimes people would wear it just during Lent or, you know, just at some times. Um, Thomas More was very religious. I don't know that much about whether he actually was into self-flagellation or how much of that was made up, but it wasn't that unusual to... So a lot of, there was a lot of guilt kind of going around with religious people then. Why are you laughing? <laughs> it doesn't ever change, does it? I, I don't know. I guess I guess not. I'm not too familiar. I mean, they were all Catholic, right? <laughs> okay. I, I wasn't raised Catholic, so I don't know. Yeah. All right. I wasn't either. Um, I just hear stories. Yeah. So I had a question. Like, they're referring to people as different names. So they're like, your majesty and your grace. Like, especially yeah. when those guys are going back and forth, you know, you're, you're welcome, your grace, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So majesty and grace and eminence, like, those are specifically for people? Like, your yeah. majesty was just for the king? Your majesty was just for the king and the queen. And your grace was for nobles, um, for princes, you know, the, the high up, the dukes who were royal. Like the Lord, like the, the Buckingham guy. Yeah, and they could also be highnesses. Okay. And then also in the ecclesiastical realms, the grace, your grace could be like much higher up people. What's ecclesiastical? Means? The church. Okay. Like religious stuff. Religious people. Okay. Yeah. And, and then the eminence was for what, like a cardinal or something? Yeah. The eminence was for a cardinal and... um High up, and that's what that guy, that's what Woolsey is. He's yeah, a cardinal, he's a cardinal. So he was an eminence. Funny red hat and his red clothes. Okay, so a question: He was having a letter written, like he was telling his scribe when he was getting his beard cut. Yeah, and he was like, "Dear cousin, I love you," and blah blah blah. And yeah, so to Francis, to Francis, the who's French the king. French king, yes. who he was going to go make a treaty with. Yes. So he really, he really wanted to go to war with him, but then he got talked into having a treaty. Right. So was that like, like the beard thing? Like, is there like, is that, is that like, did he really start growing a beard or like, what's, what's that? Yeah. So I wasn't sure about that either. And I had to look it up and yeah, apparently they, they were supposed to meet in 1519 and Henry and Woolsey couldn't make that meeting and Henry said he was sorry he couldn't make it, but he wasn't meant to think that he didn't want Francis to think that he didn't want to come. He was kind of like, yeah, like I I really want to come. I'm just, I can't make it at this time, but I really want to come. And to show you how much I really, really want to come, I'm not going to shave my beard. (laughs) And apparently he wrote a letter or there's a letter from August of 1519 that's between Sir Thomas Boleyn, who was on embassy in France, and Woolsey. And it says, as proof of the king's desire, he is resolved to wear his beard till the said meeting. To requite this token of his affection, Francis laid his hand on his beard and sure, and said surely he would never put it off till he had seen him. But So they both... Yeah. This is weird. That, that <laughs> two kings like grew beards for each other. It's like no shave November, right? That's okay. So that's like a thing. Yeah, but Queen Catherine didn't like it. And apparently it was this whole, like, every time he showed up at court with a bigger beard, it would show that he was favoring the French over her Spanish. And it was this whole point of marital strife. It was deeper than just a beard. It was seriously All right. Who knew? Like, I just thought it was just some silly thing they made up of the movie. Yeah. And then Henry told him that his love for her was not in beards, but in, in his heart. Oh, God. All right. Um... And so, like, mail back then, like, he was writing him a letter. Like, yes. how would that get there? Would they, like, send some guy on a horse? Yeah. And then he'd, like, take a boat? Yeah. And then ride it all the way? Like, would that guy, I mean, I guess you weren't there to see the mail, but would that one guy see the mail all the way there? I, yeah, or else there'd be trusted people. So he'd like, hand it he off handed off to the Like, the Pony Express. Okay. Well, they're not, not a French person, but okay. the somebody that was Henry's person would go the whole way until it was delivered. I get it. And that was how royalty, of course, and people high up who could, there was no like mail service. And so. Yeah, that was my, that was my other question. Like, was there a way for like normal people, like peasants to like deliver messages? So they would use like traveling minstrels to deliver messages. So the minstrel would come in, you know, people and storytellers and all these kind of people that would go from town to town to town. Yeah. Okay. And so the bard would come in and would sing his little song and he'd say, you know, I just came from 
Royston, and now I'm in Baldock. And so here's what's going on in Royston. Let me tell you the news from Royston. And then people would come up and say, Oh, you know, my sister is in Royston. Have you heard anything about it? Oh, well, I was just there. And she said this and blah, 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 blah. Mm. And then he'd say, Okay, next, I'm going to go to Letchworth. And they'd say, Oh, when you go to Letchworth, can you tell my brother, blah, 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 or, you know, whatever. Or they and, give him like a letter to deliver? Or well, they didn't write, but they just okay, so say, tell him. Yeah, like I'm, I'm Chuck. Can you tell? Yeah. Um, and the thing is also though, most people at that time wouldn't have to deliver letters because your circle, you, you didn't, you stayed in your village. I get that. Yeah. So you probably didn't have much of a need, but that's how news would get around and okay. stories and stuff. So a little later he, he was in the confession in the confessional. Yes. And he was talking about like Catherine was married to his brother, Arthur. Yes. What's I'm okay. So he had a brother, Arthur. I don't. Yeah. So Henry VIII was actually a second son. He was never meant to be king. And his older brother, Arthur, was named after the famous King Arthur of the Round Table. And um, he was meant to be ushering in this new age of the Tudors and, you know, showing their legitimacy and stuff like that. Arthur, Mayor, it was a big coup for their father to get recognition of their legitimacy by the fact that Ferdinand and Isabella were willing to give their daughter, their daughter to him. To him. Yeah. yeah. And um, so she was, and she came with a huge dowry and Henry the seventh was famous for not wanting to ever spend money and give money up. So Catherine comes over to marry Arthur. They have a wedding and they go to Wales and she, they're very young. They're just teenagers. And, um, and Arthur gets sick and he dies and Catherine says it was never consummated. We he was always too sick. We were never able to do anything. Blah 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 blah. I'm still I'm still a maid. Um, and so Henry actually for a while even thought about marrying her himself after his wife died because he didn't want to send her back because a he still as long as he had her he had like power mm-hmm. over negotiating and yeah. he had her dowry and yeah, stuff. A lot of money. So he actually kept her for seven years or so, just in this weird position. Just waiting. Yeah. Like, Like, are you going to, and they got a papal dispensation to marry Henry the eighth because he said, all right, well, if you can't marry Arthur marry Henry the eighth, but then like, it was one of these things that as foreign policy changed and, and Henry the seventh decided maybe he didn't like Ferdinand and Isabella so much anymore. Like maybe he actually didn't want to have Henry marry her. Maybe he wanted Henry to marry somebody from France or, and it was like all this going back and forth. And so then, but the thing is, Henry was like 10 years old when Catherine first came. And Catherine was five, six years older than him. And Catherine was this beautiful princess. And you can imagine, you know, the impression she would have made on this 10-year-old boy. And he was very precocious. And, you know, he came after his father died. He came to power and he said, I'm going to be this great prince. And he really saw himself like this this prince who was riding in on a sh- you know knight of shining armor to rescue his princess, who he'd seen for so long in this period of like not knowing what was going to happen to her. And it was one of the first things he did was marry her. And um, they were crowned together actually. So yeah, he, Arthur was, that's who Arthur, that's was. who Arthur was. Okay. So then enters uh, Thomas Boleyn. Yes. And I just like, is it, was everyone named Thomas back then? Cause <laughs> yeah, like so far we have Thomas Woolsey we have Thomas, Thomas Moore, Thomas Tallis, and now we have Thomas Boleyn. And later there'll be Thomas Cranmer, and there'll be... So that's everyone named their kid Thomas yeah. back then. Okay. Yeah. So Thomas Boleyn. Thomas Cromwell. Like, I recognize Boleyn, because, like, yeah. Anne Boleyn. Yeah. Like, he was, like, who's he? He's, like, a diplomat or something? Or? Yeah, he was, he was, like, a noble. He came from an older family. He wasn't one of the highest nobles in the land, but he came from an old, older family, and he was a diplomat, and he had a lot of interest in France, and his daughters were at the French court. So he might have been a lord or something, but he was... He, he was he like ended a Viscount and Someone who went around and... Yeah. Okay, so he was in France and stuff. Yeah. All right. And he, he was talking with the Buckingham guy. Mm-hmm. The Buckingham guy was, like, talking to him about like how Henry surrounded himself with with these lesser known people and and he was alluding to like discrediting him and 
discrediting his crown because mm-hmm. he was like saying, oh, that doesn't lend much legitimacy. And, yeah. and Boleyn said, oh, we don't want any more civil war. Yes. Like, there was a lot of civil, was that the War of the That's Roses the or the something? Roses. Yeah. Okay. When the nobility basically all killed themselves. Oh, that was all like, you're not the king, I'm going to kill you, and you're, you're not, not the king, king and, and I'm, I'm going to kill, kill you, you and your brother and, and, yeah. and everyone. And so they're like, we don't want that again, so you just shut up and we have right. a king. And, okay. The king is, and also Henry was the second tutor by then, so we're now two. It's, it, Henry VII, Henry VIII's father, saw a lot more rebellion under his reign mm-hmm. of people who didn't think that the tutors were legitimate. So but by the time we like, get to Henry VIII, yeah. it's like, we, like we, 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 we finally have this. peace, just give it up. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, another question. Henry, did he really marry away his daughter, Mary? Like, did he really give like give her up, a little girl, to, like, some guy in France? He would have, but that didn't actually happen with France. It fell through. Okay. But he was... He Stuff was like that to... happened all the time. Okay. Yeah. You, so I mean... Could, you... could times to be, you know, like, a well, princess. You were yeah. just like, oh, here's my... Here's my daughter. Oh wait, never mind. And your main, here's my other daughter. And your main value as a woman, if you were princess, your main value was you were used for negotiation for marriage to seal treaties. Like if you, you know, to yeah, yeah for marriage, and then to bear children, to to bear kings. Yeah, sons and princes. Yeah, not even like children, big, but men, yeah, boys. Yeah, but- Interestingly, Henry the Eighth, his sister married into Scotland, and she. Um, it's of her lineage that we have the Stuart Kings, but um, she married into Scotland and she was meant to go away. I think she was about 12 and her grandmother, Henry VIII's grandmother as well, actually tried to get it to work to have her not have to go until she was a little bit older um, because that woman, Margaret Beaufort had had a very young childbirth. I think 12 was the age of consent at that point for girls. And, um, you weren't meant to consummate a marriage before 12 and it was okay after that. And, (laughs) and a lot of times like with Margaret Beaufort, her husband was in his late twenties and she gave birth. It was a horrendous birth and she gave birth to Henry Tudor and she never had any children after him, even though she'd been married, she was married for another 30 years after him. So it destroyed her lady parts. And so then 12, yeah, and so then when Henry the Seventh was negotiating the treaty for his daughter, the princess, to go to Scotland, Margaret Beaufort came in and said, "Just so you know, don't send her until she's at least you know a little bit older because 14. of what happened to me." Yeah. Gosh. Okay. So speaking of children, well, you also have to remember mm-hmm. people died sooner than too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So speaking of having children and stuff, the the blonde girl who yeah. Henry slept with and had a child. Yes. Like, Blount. Bessie Blount, yes. She's a real, like, a real person? Yeah, I, there they made it all dramatic, like she was serving Catherine, and I suppose she was, but I don't know that they, Catherine wouldn't have talked to her at all, that that was so, Catherine was so majestic and regal, she never would have. But she existed. Uh, yeah, Bessie person. Blount existed. And she had a kid? Mm-hmm, she Henry? had a son called Henry Fitzroy. And, and, he was, and he was a person. I mean, he was mm-hmm. real. He was real. And he he was Henry's only recognized legitimate son. Or illegitimate son. Sorry. He was Henry's only recognized legitimate son. But he wasn't like noble or anything because he... Well, actually, for a while, Henry actually, I think, toyed with the idea of making him his heir. And he was a duke. And, you know, Henry gave oh, him okay. all kinds of titles and oh, stuff so like he that. Was, he did yeah. become someone. He died young. Um, not he was a teenager when oh. he died. He he married a, a high up lady and Who's then twelve. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so what? There was the part where Bucking the Buckingham guy. Uh-huh. He was like holding a pan of water, and Henry came out and like washed his hands in the yeah. pan. Like what? Like what's that about? Like people held pans like for the yeah. king or something? I mean, I'm sure someone would have done that, but I guess. What I'm confused on is like lords would have like held mm-hmm. a pan like, and actually the the greatest honor that you could have, no, the, the groom of the stool, no, yes, that was the cl- because think about it, you're so close to the king, you're like so close. So like people wanted to grow up to, <laughs> kind of, because okay. like also Henry would talk to you informally. Like think uh-huh. of the dish, the dirt you'd get. Like not oh, that was bad, yeah. but like I get it, yeah. So yeah, it That's meant weird. it meant you had access to the. To so the that king. was actually mm-hmm. all right, and it was a huge honor. So it's like an honor. Interesting. Yeah. 
Um, and then the like kind of, I don't remember if it was the very last scene or the last scene. Like I didn't, mm-hmm. there was the Buckingham guy, the, the Lord of Norfolk or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then Thomas Boleyn and they were all talking about like how you would like kill a king with a knife or something mm-hmm. like what, like what, is, what was all that father about? did to Richard the third or whatever. Yeah. So Buckingham's father had actually led a rebellion against Rich, Richard the third as well. And Buckingham in 1521 would be convicted of treason. And apparently it, people have said that it was one of the few treason executions that was actually deserved that Henry did. So, uh, you know, he was, he, he liked to rebel. And I don't know that that, that, that meeting ever happened between those yeah, yeah. people, but, but, the, but the Buckinghams Buckingham, were, were, were prone to yeah, trying to kill the king. They like to stir things up. All right. Yeah. Well, I really enjoyed the epi- watching the episode <laughs> with me. Do you want to tell us about the, the main themes you saw as, uh, as someone who knows the history of it all? Yeah. So thank you for letting me talk. But there's a couple main kind of themes that I saw coming out of this episode. The An obvious one was Henry needing a son. And this was something that would stay with Henry. And it, in a lot of ways, it was... A legitimate concern for him. It wasn't as much for Catherine of Aragon, his wife, because she came from a line of strong women and her mother was a queen in her own right. So she didn't really see the problem with Mary becoming queen in her own right um, that Henry saw, because England had never had a female queen, except one time in like the 12th century, there was this woman called Matilda who tried to do it and it turned into civil war. And since then, you needed to have a male. And after what they went through with the Wars of the Roses, he really needed to have a male heir. So that was something that was going to stick with him. And then we introduced the two Thomases, Thomas More and Thomas Cranmer, um, two of the, of the, or sorry, not Cranmer, More and Wolsey. Wolsey thank you. And um, later on, there'll be two more famous Thomases, Cromwell and Cranmer. So we've introduced two of the four very important Thomases. Um, and then another theme is that there there was just so much sex. And that's so for for Hollywood and for making it a, a hot film. But it's really important to note that Henry was really respectful as much as he could be, especially early at this point in his reign, um, in 15, 18, 19, 20. He, was, he wasn't questioning his marriage yet. He was very um, respectful towards, he wasn't just going around from woman to woman to woman. Um, we know about Bessie Blount because she is so unusual. You know, if there were dozens of them everywhere, we wouldn't know about them all. And um, so, yeah, he, he wasn't like, yes, he was still having affairs and, you know, having a mistress, but which Kings did. Um, but it, it wasn't like everybody was just having sex with everybody all the time. And the whole, um, the field of cloth of gold is going to be really important for Henry's reign. But I think a lot of it is made of it because that's where Anne Boleyn first makes her appearance. And so looking back, it seems to be much more important than it might've been seen at the time. And just a question, like, is that what that guy was Buckingham was talking about at the end where he says buy a bunch of gold cloth? Yeah. Like, so that was for the meeting or it seemed weird. I think he seemed like he was talking about it for rebellion, but they did use gold cloth. Uh, There was tents and everything was just cloth of gold. So it's just like an illusion or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just that Henry wanted power and to be a really great king. Um, You know, and this, this was something that Henry, Henry really wanted. I'm trying to look up this. Um, he had Thomas More had this quote about Henry when he became king, and that he was going to be this amazing prince. and And Henry really wanted to see himself as this person who was a humanist, who was a scholar, who was religious, and who was respectful, and who brought this Renaissance court to England and made England flower again. and And that was really important to him. And I think we started to see shades of that. But also they started to make it look like Henry had this temper where he would lash out at Catherine. And and at this point in their marriage, he he was still hoping that he could have a son by her. And he was still, um, you know, not questioning his marriage. Like it showed him in the confessional saying maybe our marriage wasn't actually 
right and legitimate and whatever. But um, he didn't start to come up with that for another five five years or so um, after this. So, um, you know, I I thought that was interesting that they brought that in early. But I think really important in this is that Henry needed a son, and Henry really wanted to be this really great king. And so that's what I saw. Awesome. Awesome. So we'll, we'll we'll be back next week. Yeah, we'll see you next time for uh, episode two. <laughs> exactly. I'm excited. Are you excited? Yeah. Bring it, right? Did yeah. you enjoy it? I did. It was, it was there was there was stuff for for the guys um, <laughs> in there, and uh, lots of boobs. Yeah. What did you think about it otherwise? No, it was good. It was. I mean, I can see why this why you hear about the tutors and how they could make a movie about it and or a show about it and have it be interesting. Cause it just seems like, like full of, full of drama and intrigue and yeah. characters and, and stuff. And yeah, yeah, I guess we'll learn more, we'll as learn we more as we go on or I, I, I will learn more. I guess you already know all of, all I don't of know. It, so. All, so it's good. All right. all right, cool. So to learn more about us and to listen to archives of the show, when we get enough to have archives, go to watchingthetutors.com and we'll talk to you next week. And also, also. your Renaissance English History podcast yeah. is at inklandcast.com. So E-N-G-L-A-N-D. you can check that out if uh, you're more into history than, but than guess just what? a TV show. Watchingthetutors.com is going to forward to a page on englandcast.com. So people will be able to easily find a link there too. So. Yeah. Good Thank stuff. you for listening. <laughs> All right, take care, everyone. That's why you've married me. Yeah, bye bye. All right, bye.
to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.